Good morning. Uh, great to be with you again on a Sunday morning to gather around uh, worship and God's Word. And this is a, a special Sunday. Uh, we will be having today some baptisms. Uh, three individuals will be baptized uh, later today. Uh, around 12.30, we'll be back on Facebook Live, so you want to watch for that to actually see their baptisms take place. Hopefully, that'll all work out as we go over to another church, the Baptist Church in town, who have uh, filled up their tank for us, and uh, really thank them for doing that. It's going to be awesome. Uh, after the message, we'll sing another worship song today, and then we will uh, hear the testimonies of the three um, uh, people who will be uh, baptized today. Uh, starting with Carol Huang, and then also Benita and Craig Walsh. So you're going to want to stick around for that. It will be awesome. We are continuing in our series today, our, what we're calling our Refocus series today. And uh, so I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be in uh, the second part of that series. We had an introduction last Sunday. I would uh, strongly encourage you, if you did not hear that message, either the podcast or watch the video. You can uh, catch it on YouTube or on, uh, online. It would, be, it would be good for you uh, so that you are uh, up to speed with the introduction of this series. I'm going to give a little bit of a recap today for a couple of reasons, but uh, I'll start off with this. Uh, the reasons why we as leaders, as elders of this church, ministry team leaders, felt that it was important to refocus at the beginning of this year. First, even for a church uh, like ours that has been growing and doing okay, reasonably well as a church for the past 10 to 12 years, we felt that it's possible, and we can see that even in the book of Acts, uh, in the life of the early church, that after 10 to 12 years, uh, complacency can set in, or, or, or just the, the, the feeling like, why are we doing this? Um, can be a problem. Second to that, actually, uh, that I thought of after last week was the fact that we have a number of new people with us over the last couple of years, um, and it would be really good for them to also learn about the mission and the model that we've adopted as a church from the Scripture. So we're reviewing that in this series, and it's, it's going to be helpful, I hope, for us to be able to look forward to where we're going. And so that actually leads to one of the primary goals of this series— and what we saw last Sunday, and we will see every week as we go through this series, is as we continue that the goal that we are all on, that we have, is that we are all on the same page. That's actually the goal, that we are of one mind, that we are unified and therefore devoted in the exact same way, as much as we can be as human beings, that we see the early church in the book of Acts was, at least in the very beginning on mission with Jesus. And secondly, of course, after the year that we had as a church family last year with two tragic um, losses and then COVID, we want to approach 2021 with more than the hope that by the end of this year, we will just be able to get back to what we used to do, or as they say, business as usual. If we were just to look for that, and that's not a bad thing to wish for and hope for, I certainly hope for the day and look forward to the day when there's more than six of us here this morning uh, doing this service um, on your behalf but also with you. Of course, we're looking for that. But then if that's all we do and why we want to refocus, we might be missing exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us during this past year. I mean, so many things have happened besides the tragic losses and, of course, the pandemic. 
Um, our, our culture, our world has been going through massive upheavals in so many different ways, especially socially, especially socially. So we listen, we, we, know, we know this to be true, the essential model and mission of the church that Jesus had in mind from the beginning of His ecclesia, the church, hasn't changed. But the reality is, our world certainly has, and it's continuing to change. And so that's why we want to refocus. We want to refocus around the core model and mission that Jesus and His apostles established. And listen, as the Spirit guides us to reach the lost from this day forward in our Jerusalem, first of all, our own backyard, first of all, which is Squamish. So now let me reread our key text for today, and we will be focusing on today, the apostles' teaching. So read with me from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. We read, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and held all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, the Lord added to their number daily, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray one more time. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just want to, again, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together, a few of us here, but the rest of us uh, virtually watching and listening, and gathering together, even in this way. Lord, I thank you that we can do this. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would... Uh, through your Spirit, through you, Holy Spirit, you would, you would touch all of our hearts so that we might see so clearly what you actually have in mind for us as this church here in Squamish. Holy Spirit, I pray for your power and your strength at this time as well. I pray that you would just, uh, you would do all of the talking and all of the speaking and especially all of the inspiring that we need. And so I just pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen. So last week we focused in our introduction message on just two words that you saw at the very beginning of this passage. And those two words, of course, were devoted and awe. We learned that the first church plant was the result of a few things, but it was the result especially on that day of the coming of the Holy Spirit in power, just like Jesus had promised his disciples the Holy Spirit would do. The preaching, of course, of a hard-hitting, gospel-focused message by Peter also played a part and a role. Because what it did is it, it cut, as we read in the, the text just prior to these words that I read this morning, it cut people to the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what He does when the gospel is preached. The truth about who Jesus is is preached. The Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. 
And that's what we want them to do every day. Then, then what happened is they responded to Peter's call for them to repent of their sin, to be baptized, and that day, that very day, five to 6,000 men and women repented, believed, and were baptized. What any preacher today would give to preach a sermon like that. But it isn't the preacher who's doing the preaching that accomplishes that. It's the Holy Spirit of God. So from that day forward, we read, and we read this morning, they continually devoted themselves to four acts of worship as they gathered. And it was this continual devotion, this continual devotion to all four aspects of worship that we see in verse 42 that produced the awe. In fact, I want to suggest to you that they came in awe. The awe was already in them. And that's why they just had to get together and, and again break bread and again talk about the Word of God and again hug and, well, we can't do that today, but we can virtually hug. To break bread, to have communion, and to pray together. They just couldn't wait to do it. So, so listen, obviously then, the resulting awe wasn't the result of an amazing worship team, you know, an incredible music, which, of course, they didn't have in that day. You don't even read about worship music in this text. It happened. It does. And we see that in the epistles as it unfolds. Nor was it the great eloquence and communication skills of the preacher or anything else. It was actually the result of everyone all of them participating. Participating. Oh, church, <laughs> that is the one thing I hope we really learn from this text and from this series that we're studying. All of them participating in these acts of worship is what resulted in the experience of awe. In what? The acts? No, in God. Who He is. And what he has done. So they weren't all just sitting around watching a few others doing these things, were they? Like we tend to do in the North American church today. They weren't doing that. They were all participating, continually devoted. Let me put it another way. Personally invested in the word, in the fellowship, the communion, and the prayers. So we learned one more very important key last week that I must repeat, and frankly, I probably will every week, because it's, it's just that important. It, it is the key for all of us uh, to not just learn, but believe and trust if we have, listen, if we as the Rock Church are to continue being the church that Jesus would have us to be, then it is this. All of this that happened on that day was the result of prayer, and it was the result specifically of one prayer. And we saw it last week, and I'm going to put it back on screen for you this morning. It's Jesus' high priestly prayer after He had promised His disciples that He was leaving and that the Holy Spirit would be coming. After He prayed to the Father to send the Holy Spirit, He then prays this beautiful prayer to His Father in heaven. He says this, Father, I do not ask for these disciples here with me now only, but also those who will believe, look at this, in me through their word, their, plural, that they may all be one, one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
mentioned this last week, it will be repeated. It was their oneness, their unity that spoke volumes to the world and to the culture about why Jesus was sent and what he did on our behalf. He goes on to say, the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. He's speaking in a future tense here, that they may be one even as we are one. Do you sense the repetition here? One, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And so we learned that they had something that every church since that day has struggled to have and to maintain. Unity. Perfect unity. Is it possible? It has to be possible because Jesus prayed for it. He asked the Father for it. We should strive for it. That is what he's suggesting. And so that's the key for today and for every message in this series. Unity in the Word that we'll look at today. Unity in fellowship. Unity in communion, the breaking of bread, and unity in prayer. As Paul likes to say on a repeated basis in the New Testament, of one mind. So let's look at our subject for today, the apostles' teaching. And I want to look at it first, the apostles' teaching then. So let me put the verse back up for you just so we see it. And they devoted themselves to, you see it here, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So what do we actually have here, do you think? I spent a lot of time uh, in the last several weeks preparing for this series, looking forward to this one in particular, but just wondering about this, because I, I don't know what you, I've gone past this verse so many times, I, I know what that is, you know what that is, don't you? I mean, if you've been in the church even for like a few years, or especially if you've been in the church 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you have heard someone define it as the authoritative preaching and teaching of the Word of God, okay? Well, that, that's good. That, that is a, actually a solid definition of what it is, you know, or the apostles' doctrine. Some of your translations may translate it apostles' doctrine and not just apostles' teaching. Well, they're good. They're, that's a good answer for today in many, many respects. But I believe as we look back 2,000 years to this text, it's missing the mark when it comes to what we're actually seeing here. And, and maybe it's it's therefore resulted in the way that we, or the model in the way in which we gather, or we think we should gather, being a little bit off the mark as well. So I'm hoping that as we see this, there's much more going on here, much more. And, and, and by, by digging into this, we'll see better how we all participate and how we continually devote ourselves and in unity as a church. So first, let's state something that is obvious, but but we need to think about it this way. We're reading from the book of Acts, right? We're reading from the book of Acts, and it's written by whom? Right, most of you know it's written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and this is his follow-on letter, the continuing works of Jesus, things that Jesus did, he's writing it. And so, we, and we've been in that gospel for like two and a half years, verse by verse, and we'll be coming back to it in February, which is awesome, and finishing it this year. Woo! So, question for you, was Luke an apostle? It, it's part of the canon of our scripture, of our Bibles, 
And the answer is, no, he was not. He was not a Bible, uh, uh, an, uh, an apostle. But we do know this. His writings are part of the authoritative Word of God. So why do we believe that? Why do we actually believe that today? That's important. Well, the truth is, <clears throat> we know this from the beginning of his gospel that Luke writes these two accounts, uh, and he wants to write them in an orderly fashion for his good friend Theophilus. So his good friend Theophilus would have, here's one of your favorite words out there, I know it is, certainty. It's like perfectly one, it's like certainty about everything that he's learned about who Jesus is and what he has done and what that then means for you and I, which is really good news. And so we learned that he, 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 he developed these orderly accounts, the gospel and the book of Acts, by basically interviewing the eyewitnesses. Um, he, he himself had come to faith in Christ, most likely, we believe, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, but he also would have experienced the, the bold preaching of Peter and also of John and some of the other apostles, possibly. And, and so he, he interviews them. He records what they saw as eyewitnesses about Jesus. He himself was led to faith, as I said, in uh, Christ through the ministry of these other apostles. And so they, the, the apostles, contributed to his writings, and obviously they approved of them. Why do I say obviously? Because they were alive when he wrote them, but they also contributed to them. So that's one of the reasons why his writings, second only in volume to the apostle Paul in the New Testament, are in our Bibles. Secondly, however, we must note this. Luke writes about these events in our text today many years after they occurred, most likely 20 to 25 years after they occurred, somewhere around A.D. 60 to 62 approximately. So the question then is, I mean, because he's writing about not what they were doing 20 to 25 years later in the church, he's writing about what they were doing literally a month or two after Jesus had ascended. And so we also need to understand this, this about this text. There was no New Testament written in those days, in that time. So what exactly are they teaching is the question. Well, our first clue actually comes again from Peter's sermon back in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 36. He starts his sermon by demonstrating something pretty important for a fisherman, but any Jew in that day, and it would be this. He knew his Bible. He knew the Old Testament because what he does is he responds to the, the men in Jerusalem who see all of the disciples, approximately 120 of them, on that day, the day of Pentecost, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues, foreign languages, and all of the Jews who were in Jerusalem at that time from all of the nations of the world can hear them speaking in their own language. And, and some of them are marveling over it, and, and they're like, that's, that's incredible. But some of them suggest that they're filled with wine. And, and Peter's like, no, 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 guys, like, it's, it's only 3 o'clock. It's, it's a little early for that. No, what you're seeing here is actually from the prophet Joel, who prophesied that these very things would take place when the Spirit of the Lord came. So he says, no, these are the things that would happen. But then he says this, look at this. He says, men of Israel, hear these 
words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst before your very eyes. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And and from that point on in his sermon, he repeats two words, this Jesus. That's important. So important. There's only one real Jesus, and that's the Jesus that they're communicating in that day. Then he simply tells the story from that point on who he is, this Jesus, who he really is. And a key statement is found in Acts 2.32 in his sermon when he says this. Again, he says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all, look at this word, witnesses, eyewitnesses. So that's exactly what Jesus commanded them to do just a few weeks earlier, isn't it? Just a few weeks before the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus had told them to stay in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit, and then He said this in Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is what the apostles were teaching, verbally. They were giving testimony to this truth of who Jesus is, this Jesus. And it's actually what the people in the early church were continually devoted to as well. They continually shared the story of Jesus' life, His death, His burial, His resurrection with everyone they met. They, like the apostles, also shared stories and prophecies from the Old Testament that they, they, they now could see were clearly about Him. It all started now to make sense because they had the Holy Spirit. But these are just mere Galileans, these, these men from all over the nation say. These are not highly educated people with MDivs. It's just men and women who did know their Bibles. And this is what they do. And so you could see this. You could see that they just keep proclaiming the gospel from day one. And so the key for us to see is that they could do this because, listen, they knew Jesus personally. Personally. And, and listen, all of them did. Th- those, that 120 that were still there after you know, he had risen from the dead, and, and they, some of them were, you know, hiding for fear of the Jews or the Romans. They all knew him personally. They'd followed him for years. They knew him personally. Everyone who was part of the early church on that day did as well. And friends, so do you here today if you are in Christ Jesus if the Holy Spirit has done that work of regeneration in your heart and you've placed your only hope 
for forgiveness of your sins, for your salvation in Jesus Christ, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know Him personally too. So now with that in mind, let's put ourselves in that time and day when these events are taking place. A little bit of math for you. I like math. But a little bit of math would tell us this. On this day that this verse is talking about, there are 12 apostles now. Matthias has, been, has replaced Judas, and over 6,000 members growing by the day in that first church. So it's already a megachurch, right? So my math tells me that's 500 people per apostle. Like, that's a medium to large church today. How did they do it? Like, how many services did they have? How many homes did they have to go to? Because, you see, they didn't have big buildings like we have today, which is an interesting thought that we need to think about. Going forward, after the pandemic, they met in homes. So, so listen, how did they do it? How did the teaching of the apostles spread throughout the early church so fast, do you think? Well, the answer to that is again available to us from our text early in the book of Acts. A few days before the coming of the Holy Spirit, and just after Jesus ascended back to the Father, we read these words in Acts 1.14. And all these, all of them, the apostles, the capital A guys, the 12 of them, and the rest of the disciples, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Look what it says. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Just to make it clear to us... <laughs> It was the apostles, all of the disciples, the men, the women, Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters. They were all there and all praying at that time. So like I said, we have the 11 apostles and soon to be 12 actually. Uh, they haven't picked Matthias yet, but they will. And so we see them being a faithful remnant and following Jesus at this point. Then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit does arrive, we read this. When the day of Pentecost, there it is, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were, again, look at this, all together in one place. So again, this just confirms that it, the Holy Spirit didn't just fall on 12 guys. The Holy Spirit fell on everyone who was there. He fill, fills them all, and they all speak in tongues, foreign languages, and then we hear the Jews from every nation saying this, we hear them, plural, all of them, telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So, so, let's be clear, they don't all suddenly become apostles. But they are all proclaiming the mighty works of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're all witnessing to that, men and women, every single one of them. That's what we can concur conclude from these verses. So what we can conclude from the language in chapter 2, verse 42, is that they all were continually devoted to what the apostles were sharing and teaching, and that they all not only heard, but continually shared what they heard and knew to be true as well. So clearly, this was not a church where they all sat for 40 minutes while one person spoke. It wasn't like that. 
and preached a sermon that uh, sent them home with a warm, fuzzy feeling, which of course we all want, or the opposite, maybe a bit of a guilt trip like Peter preached, right? This Jesus whom you crucified. That's guilty. No, they were all devoted to what they knew about Jesus, about the gospel, and they were continually filled with awe as they contemplated a love such as this. Church, I I have to be honest with you. I'll just speak for myself. Do we not, do I not take this for granted every day? No wonder there's not a lot of awe every moment of every day, as there should be. So this is what they did. This is the church that Jesus has in mind. This is the church that He's calling you and I to be part of. Another example actually happens several weeks later. Um, They gather like this for the first few weeks, and then Peter and John go off the temple, and and they start performing miracles, right? Uh, The the gate beautiful, they heal the the man who's lame, and and many miracles are being done. They're they're preaching the gospel boldly, and then, then things start to turn a little bit. Things start to change, right? The church is now growing in Jerusalem uh, from 6,000 to 10 to 15. It's exploding in growth in Jerusalem. And at first, this little sect is acceptable to everyone, including the religious leaders and the Roman leaders, and they just have their way. But now, wait a second, now it's becoming a problem, at least in the minds of the religious leaders and the Romans as well. And so the religious leaders in particular, they, they pull Peter and John in, and, and they castigate them. They give them a really hard time, and they threaten them, and, and, and they will eventually beat them. But at this point, they're saying to them, okay, listen, we want you to stop preaching this name, this Jesus. You need to stop that. Well, Peter and John say, well, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. So they threaten them a little bit more, and then they send them on their way. Well, what the guys do is, Peter and John, is they go back to the, the church in Jerusalem, the people, and start spreading the news to all of the people in the church, and it spreads throughout the whole church. And, and what happens is, is they, they tell them about, listen, here's the mighty works that God has been doing. People have been healing. People are coming to faith in Jesus. It's amazing. More home churches are starting. More people are coming into the kingdom of God. Oh, and by the way, we're getting persecuted. And so what do they do? The the whole church actually breaks out in praise. They're like, this is awesome. Awesome that they were getting persecuted. Because what they then do is they they actually pray for more boldness to go out and get some more whooping. That's what they do. And that's where we read this in Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed... Look at this. When they, plural, had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And look, continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. And then we read in the very next verse, now the full number, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him or her was his own, but they had everything in common. These words remind you of anything? Acts 2, 4, a few weeks earlier. It's a repeat of exactly what was happening. So it's still there. 
that unity and that oneness is still there. Complete and total unity of heart and purpose. Secondly, this morning, I want to look at it this way. What's the apostles' teaching today look like? So we fast forward 2,000 years today, and right here, even at the Rock Church, let's do that, okay? What does that look for us today, do you think? What is it that we are to be continually devoted to? Has it changed? It hasn't changed. Great movements of the Holy Spirit of God over the past 2,000 years have happened because people refocused, renewed their commitment to the devotion that was required. Exactly the same thing. And, and look, today we, we have, listen, we, we have this. We, we have the printed Bible in our hands available to us. We have digital and, and virtual versions. We, we, ha we have you know, multiple translations of the original manuscripts and documents. We, we have this all available to us. We, we have completed works of, of the apostles who wrote, and, and of course, those who were led by the apostles to write, who lived among the early church who wrote. We have these printed versions, digital versions, multiple translations, a plethora of commentaries and books to enhance our understanding, and we have access online, dear Lord, to many, many great preachers and uh, communicators of God's Word, more than we could ever want. But all that said, let me ask the question I asked last week again. Are you experiencing awe or complacency? I, I want to express to you that I believe there are a few problems and reasons why this might be true. And then I do have a couple of solutions for you as we conclude. So friends, as I, I consider the church today, our church even today, I have to tell you I, I see some problems that are potentially the reasons why we are being robbed of our awe, and most certainly this, our unity. First, and this is on every one of us, this is on every one of us, we are not reading our Bibles. We're just not in the Word of God much. We're not. You know, the first six, seven years of the Rock Church, we used to post every January 1st a new reading plan so that everyone at the Rock Church could read through the whole Bible in a year. And, and I have to confess as, a, as your pastor and one of the elders, and we're going to speak about this tomorrow night at the elder meeting, uh, but we've kind of given up doing that the last two or three years. Do you know why? People were given up on it. it yeah, gung-ho for three, four weeks. It's like a fitness program, right? to lose weight, and then we give up. We give up. It's on every one of us, guys. I just have to say that. It's myself, too. I mean, I, I read to prepare for sermons, but I'm, am I reading just to know Him more, to be in awe of my Lord and Savior? Not as much. We're just not. As a church, actually, we make it really easy for you, uh, maybe too easy, you know, um, we, we do this, we, we, every week we gather here, and, and a few of us anyway, um, do the acts of worship, 
uh, for you. We record the videos, we do the podcasts, we put them all up. And why do we do that? Well, the purpose is, is so that you, if you are not watching this morning, tisk tisk, uh, that you will watch and catch up so that you can come to Missional Community Group during the week and we can all be on the same page together going through the Scripture. That's not always happening. Secondly, let me tell you the challenge that every pastor preacher has today. There are a lot of challenges. The number one challenge I have is me. That's the number one problem that I have and challenge. But the truth is, you can go online, as I've already said, and find numerous, numerous gifted, um, charismatic communicators of apparently God's Word. They're not all communicating God's Word, by the way, but they're charismatic, and you, you can find an awful lot of them. But what you can also find is this, different and often very conflicting positions on every major doctrine, teaching of the Bible. I mean everything. It used to be just like one or two things. Now it's like everything is up for grabs. From a literal Adam and Eve or not, to the stories of the Old Testament like Noah, did that really happen? To the virgin birth, and of course the perennial subjects of the past 50 years, whether, uh, men's, uh, whether that be men's and women's roles in the home and the church, uh, abortion to homosexuality, and of course now gender, etc. I guarantee you this, you can find a position, a teaching online today that will be dramatically diametrically opposed to what you hear preached here every Sunday. You can. That's a challenge. It's not just a challenge for me, though, because we're all in this together, right? We are. Francis Chan, in his book that I've recommended uh, to a lot of you to read, I'll put it up just so you can see it here, Letters to the Church, awesome book, and it's one of the things that has motivated and encouraged me to do this series and us as a church to do this series. He has a great part in one of his chapters where he talks about one of the other problems in our culture today for pastors, but also for you. And that is this idea. Do you realize that the whole idea of thumbs up and thumbs down was invented back in the days of the Romans? Remember that? The gladiators, right? He lives, he dies, right? We have been conditioned today in our culture to all think that our opinion matters, on everything. You got to read what Francis has to say about it, kids. I mean, I'm speaking to myself here. It's, we, we think we, we have the right to critique everything. You know, sometimes we, we show up at missional community groups, I'll just be clear, and we don't come there to talk about the first question that the elders or the leaders of the missional community groups are supposed to be asking all of you before we do anything is, what did the Holy Spirit speak to you about through the message on Sunday or through the text? And you know what usually happens? Nobody's got anything to say. Well, few people do. I'll tell you what does happen. Oh, I don't know if I agreed with that. Or, you know, like there's, there's discussion and questions, which are good. Questions are good. But as I've always said, a questioning spirit, not so much. So we need to be careful about that. Those are challenges and those are problems that relate to the unity of the body of Christ and the local church. I'll add to that two common principles that you hear in the church. I've heard them. I'm not saying they're bad. Don't get me wrong. But, but they can be taken too far. I remember years ago hearing, maybe back uh, late 90s, 
uh, early 2000s, this idea that there's something called closed-hand theology and open-hand theology. You know, there, there are the things that are the essentials, and we will not divide. We must be unified over those things, right? But, but over here, there's the things that, you know, that, you know, we can disagree about. You know, like there's that other saying, agree to disagree. That's not in the Bible. Just, I, I understand, we're imperfect people. We really, really are. The problem that I've seen over the past 20 years is this. The, the, the dozen or more things that used to be in here have slowly been leaking over here. That's happening. Why? Well, pastors and church elders are somewhat to blame. We are. But why? Well, because of pressure from either the culture or the members of the church. Just, just to try to hold us all together and keep us unified, we loosen our grip on doctrines of the Bible. So friends, listen, I believe with all my heart, Jesus prayed and He is praying today that we would be perfectly one. Paul taught, as I've already said repeatedly, as false teaching crept into the early church over the years, that they needed to be of one mind. No, listen, this is what the Word of God says. We must do it. We must believe it. The seeds of division are so easily sown today, they are, and for the most part, we've just come to expect it. We should never do that. We should never, ever do that. So a couple of solutions for you as we close. First and foremost, friends, and we'll speak about this more in community group this week and maybe in some of the messages that follow, but we all must hold to a very high view of the Word of God. We, we just have to. We must believe that in the original languages and manuscripts, it is inspired by God, not just merely written by men. It's inspired by God. It is inerrant and infallible, meaning it is truthful, always true, and completely without error. Completely. Secondly, we all need to be in the Word of God and praying in the Spirit for understanding, for repentance in our own personal lives, and so therefore for our personal sanctification. Thirdly, we must commit to unity in this local church, in the Rock Church. How do we do that? Well, we do that by becoming covenant members, agreeing that we will be unified together. And listen, when, when, when we disagree, when we disagree, and we will, and, and, and sometimes an issue, sadly, can be an, a disagreement which holds us back. And we come to church, we're like, well, I love everything about the church. I love everything that's being preached. But, you know, I, I'm just going to come and agree to disagree. But I'll tell you what will happen at some point. Some actually insignificant thing will happen. And that'll be your out. That's what happens in the church. So, friends, I want to encourage you to do this. And this is fourthly. When we are unsure about something that the church here at The Rock believes, or when we are sure we do not agree on a, an important teaching of the Word, we should, we must go to our elders, our pastors, and speak with them, and reason together from the Scriptures. 
Will we always agree completely? Probably not. We're all fallen still. But we'll get a lot closer. And along with holding a high view of Scripture, friends, I really would hope that during this series we would really hold unity, a perfect oneness, as not only something that we uphold and say is, is, a, is a virtue, but something we want to strive for. So finally, friends, we must all be fully devoted to one another through missional community groups where we can go and grow in our knowledge and understanding of who, listen, this Jesus is, really is, what God in Him has done for you and I, what that tells us about who we really were and now who we really are. And then out of that, how then we can live these lives together in this little tiny expression of what is the church today. And friends, I believe if we do that, if we commit ourselves, devote ourselves to those things, this little church, good friends, will be like the church that Jesus truly has in mind. Pray with me, would you?